to be able to take it to that next level. That's what I'm excited about. Mills, quick pass. Nico at the five. Nico in the end zone. The dagger. And Grenard with the sack back at the 25-yard line. Touchdown, Houston. Rock and roll. Tremont Smith, coast to coast. There is no offseason for your Houston Texans. Game day is every day. Now, it's Texans All-Access. Oh, yes, it is. Good evening, everyone. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you with the general. John McClain from many places, including but not limited to Sports Radio 610 itself. Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program as we take you through a busy Thursday of activity around the National Football League. Texans and OTAs Week 2. They'll have Week 3 next week, then the minicamp, then the desert. General, good evening. How's it going with you, my friend? Mark and John, I'm doing great. I hope you are as well. General, what's your so? What are your yeah, summer absolutely. plans? What are your summer plans? Are you going to stick around here? Uh, what are you going to do? You can take take a little vacation. Are you actually going to try and dabble in retirement for a little bit this summer? Um, right now, only plans I have, and nothing's etched in stone. I plan to go uh, to our house. Our our place in Fort Myers, Florida, and, and then eventually to our place in uh, Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay and because I can sit on the water and drink Natty Bow beer in Maryland and I can go on uh, two islands in uh, Fort Myers and I don't need to go anywhere else to tell you the truth. Yeah, I mean, you can have a great time right here in Houston or wherever you mentioned. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty good to me. I'm all in. General, week two OTA's biggest takeaway, the latest session you saw. We asked you this last week. I'm going to ask you this every week until there are no more sessions. Well, one of the things I, I wanted to focus on, even though there's no hitting, is rookie running back Damian Pierce. And as I told as I told Landry Locker and John Lopez, you couldn't tell anything about running backs because they're not getting hit and they're running against air. But what I wanted to see about him was like quickness, cuts, because uh, the backs run hard, and 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 how he did when he run through the lineman because they're not going to hit him, and then explodes, uh, cuts. How how low does he run? And I have to watch him because I've predicted on all the shows that he'll rush for a thousand yards. And that's not only, that's just 58 yards a game, but I believe with the renewed emphasis on the running game with Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith, and they know as does Nick Casario, they have to improve the running game. You know, they want Davis Mills to make a big jump as a lot of these do going into their second season because they learn how to become pros. The best way to help Mills is to give him a running game. You know, people around the league, when they evaluate Mills, and I've read a lot of evaluations, they don't mention that he had the worst running game in the worst in franchise history. You know, they just look at his stats. They don't point out, well, four of his ten interceptions came at Buffalo against a Super Bowl contender under terrible weather conditions, and they just got pounded in the worst game of the year, and then he bounced back. You know, they just look at the overall stats, and I think, that it will serve him so well to have that running game that the opponents have to beware of and worry about. And another thing that stood out to me, I love to watch players who stay after practice. And um, 
I've always been impressed by that. Now, does that mean they're going to have a good season? No, but I just like guys who do it. And the guy, Brandon Cooks does it all the time. So that's just come become commonplace with him. But I was watching Nico Collins. Collins has looked really good. You know, last year he got up to a slow start because he opted out of his last year in Michigan. And I wonder, is he going to contribute at all as a rookie, considering he didn't play last season? And he did. And now he just looks like a totally different guy. And when you watch him, how graceful he is, he, he runs with an elegance because he's tall and he's a long strider, but watching him work after practice and work on getting off the line of scrimmage, I just impressed the heck out of me. And then there were a couple of young receivers, and they were not all together. It wasn't that Cooks was with them. They were all spread out over a field working with different assistants, and I just that impressed me. And uh, we know Cooks is going to be really good. He's going to be their best offensive player. He's also a terrific leader. But maybe this will translate for Collins to emerge as a really good threat opposite Cooks. And when you're 6'4 and 215, you're only 23 years old. you got so much ahead of you. And I'm guessing when the minicamp is over and he takes off for some time off, he's going to be real confident and proud of himself at how he approached the offseason program. John, I think it's easy to look at the 2022 rookie class and start thinking about you know the future with that group because it's the one that was you know it had two first rounders. It's got Stingley, it's got Kenyon Green, etc. There are eight players drafted that are still with the team from 2020 and 2021. One of them's Davis Mills, so we'll take him out of this equation. You talked about Nico Collins, and maybe he's the answer to this question. Which player of the last two draft classes, in your estimation? is at an absolute must step up and be a baller this year in 2022. Cool. You're going back to 2020 and 2021, right? Yeah. So you're talking about Grenard, Blacklock, and yeah. Heck from 2020. And then the four guys last year not named Davis Mills. You mentioned Nico, Garrett Wallow, Roy Lopez, um, and who else have I missed in that group? I missed somebody, I'm sure. But of those seven drafted the last couple of years, which one? I know the one. I know who it is for me. So it's kind of a loaded question because I know who it is for me. I want to see if it's the same for you. Which of those seven absolutely needs to step up in 2022? Well, considering the system, okay. the system that Lovey Smith runs on defense, and that your primary pass rush comes from your lineman and you'd like to get the inside penetration, but you have to get outside pressure. And John Grenard in his second season, you know, he stepped up. He didn't play enough games. If he played every game, I think he would have been in a 12 or 13 sack range. And instead of drafting somebody high at right defensive end, they signed Jerry Hughes, Shane Green, who was playing left end while Grenard has been out. Um, it's because I talked to people at Seattle. They let him go because they changed their defensive front. But he's six four and two seventy nine. They had him playing on the left side in Grenard's place. I'm really eager to watch him as an outside rusher and see if Grenard has injury issues again. Can he be improved? guy off the bench. But I would say John Grenard because he's got a chance to be a big-time pass rusher of all those players that we just talked about and can affect the game more than any of the others. 
And, John, when we talk about receivers, uh, John Harris mentioned Nico Collins, year two. We're all eager to see what he can produce in his second season in the league. What are you thinking about that group overall after Cooks and Collins? I like Philip Dorsett. I thought Conley made some good plays yesterday. I know everybody had a play they liked and maybe a play they wanted back, but I saw some interesting things out there from the group. First of all, the veterans should be making plays at a time like this. Guys like Conley and Dorsett have been around so long, they should stand out. I'm looking at the young guys. You know, they've bounced around the NFL, and it's great if they make a contribution. But it's guys like Collins and John Medchie, the third, when he's past his knee injury. Brooks Cabina had a really good story with a surgeon that operated on him, talking about him being ahead of schedule. And that would be great. Because if you had Collins and Cooks on the outside and Medchie on the inside for Davis Mills, plus an improved offensive line and a better running game, think about how much better this offense could be. You know, if Nico Collins is lined up outside and he t- takes off and takes da- takes off down the field at 6'4", 215, there's, there's no cornerback as tall as him that, that I don't think, and he's going to be a serious threat. And we know Cooks is already a serious threat. And I'm just thinking – Brevin Jordan, that's who you missed, John. Yes. Uh, Jordan, after he had three touchdowns last year in the red zone, Dad, you're going to see him make that big jump. Not every one of the five players is going to make the kind of jump a lot of rookies make in their second season, but it's hard to pick one and say, well, he's not. You know, Garrett Wallow, who started slow because it's a complicated thing they have from their linebackers. You know, they, they don't just play the run. They've got to run and cover and think. And they have to adjust on the fly. That's why I was watching Christian Harris. You know, they don't get many linebackers run a 4-4-40. And he's made some big thing, big plays that impress the coaches, and he struggled at times. You know, he's 6'1", 226, 6'2", and 230. I could see Harris being a special teams player, who produces, and then at some point, like it did with Wallow, the the light bulb comes on, and all of a sudden he's reacting more instinctively than he does uh, when he's thinking, overthinking, and we'll see him make a significant contribution because he's got talent. And so these young guys this year, are they going to flash like the young guys did last year. This year they got an advantage because they had more draft choices. And and the one, of course, I'll follow the most is Jalen Petrie. I went to Dave Aranda, the Baylor coaches, Baylor annual Baylor night at the touchdown club, and, and we interviewed him for 20 minutes, 26 minutes before. And first question, you know, Mark Berman and I were firing him questions about Petrie, and he was really good. And I'm going to run those quotes in the morning in which he talks about what it was. I said, what did you do when in these two years that changed the trajectory of Petrie's career? He was a good player. He's not a great player. And he became one of the best players in the country. And he talked about it, what they did and why. And he said, okay, what do you think he's going to do at the next level, knowing him the way you do? Because he knows him better than any Texans coach. And he, he raved about him. And that's not the kind of thing Nick Casario and Lovey Smith like about rookies, but he just raved about him. And the things that he said and the way he said it, he didn't just say he's going to be a great player. 
he said he's going to be a great player because, and he listed several things, and it was very, very impressive, and I can't wait to see him and these second-year guys. You know, we don't talk much about Roy Lopez. All he did was come in as lowest pick to start. Keep, you know, Ross Blacklock is still coming off the bench. And so they had, the Texans have a terrific chance to make significant improvement on both sides of the ball. And that's why I've been saying now for a while, I think in 2023, after another draft in which right now Serio has 11 picks and he's going to have over $100 million in cap space to spend some money on free agents, this time next year we're going to be saying, can the Texans compete for wild card birth? General, you mentioned John Mechie a little while ago, and Brandon Scott and I were talking. We talked a little bit about him, and I wanted to get back to this. We didn't get to it, but I think it's it's an interesting point because I don't know that I can remember a Texan being drafted that had basically had an ACL that you kind of were waiting on. What do you think is a realistic expectation for Mechie this year as a rookie? They're going to bring him along slowly, as they are with all their injured players. There's no reason to push them now. One of the best things that I've seen was A.J. Ken, who's going to be the starting right guard next to Titus Howard, who's been out there from the get-go. And he blew out his MCL last year, and he's 100% ready to go. I think he did it in Jaguars' fourth game. And so, Mechie, it happened in the SEC championship game. So, if you win by eight months, that'd be through August. So I'm guessing he'll start he'll he'll be ready for the start of the season. He'll probably have a slow start and then as the se- they get into the season, we'll see him playing more and more and being more and more productive. And he's 21 years old. He comes from a big time program. And I remember watching them. Uh, I love watching Alabama cuz we're watching the future of the NFL and him making a lot of plays. And he doesn't have blazing speed, but you see him making plays all over the field short, uh, intermediate, and long. And so I can't wait to see him out there once he's recovered. John, let me ask you, a while ago you asked me about a player who I thought had to step up, and I said, Grenard, who was yours? Ross Blacklock. When you look at what the Texans did this offseason in bringing back Malik Collins and then drafting Thomas Booker at a position that Ross plays. Now we'll see how, how Booker is used. And and look, he's a you know, he's a day three pick, so it's not as if, oh, he was a first rounder, he's automatically gonna be in there. But they went and got brought back Malik Collins. They brought in Thomas Booker. If they had the ultimate faith in Ross Blacklock, I don't know that they would have done that. They maybe would have brought in some maybe depth pieces. I think Ross has got to step up huge. I mean, before they had drafted Stingley and Kenyon Green, we all know he was the highest pick they've had in the last how many ever years. He's got to take it up at like two notches. Uh, and, and the word that I use, and it's not always a word that is, is good to hear because people hear it taking the wrong connotation, so I make sure I say it with football, and that's football violence. His football violence quotient needs to go up two or three notches. And when you watch Malik and you see how twitchy and explosive and violent he is in all of his movements and everything he does, and you watch Booker do the same thing, Ross has been doing it with quickness and agility. Now, if he adds in that football violence piece, man, that front can be really, really good. I think Ross Blacklock has got, A, something to prove, and B, if he can take it to his ceiling or near his ceiling, 
then we're talking about somebody that can really be a factor on the inside. I think this is a year that he's really got to prove it. Well, you're right. He does have to prove he started, what, three games in two years? And what he represents, DeAndre Hopkins, there's always going to be a lot of pressure on him right now. And right now, he's not a starter for the team that's been terrible on defense. And so, uh, yeah, he's got a lot to prove. You know, he's a smart guy. He, he understands what they're doing. And this would help the defense considerably. But right now, he's still a backup. And he'll, he's got a chance to be part of the rotation again. But, you know, you can never have enough defensive linemen when you have a defense that relies so heavily on those linemen. You know, I can't wait to see, you know, what Lovey Smith's going to do when – when there, it's one thing on the on the on first down, but what's he going to do in second, along and third down? Who's going to be in? Who's going to be part of the rotation? And they'd love to have him be one of the guys rushing from the inside, and that's something that Shane Green did battle. And uh, the fact that Green, Green's still only twenty five, he played four years there, then he signed with the Texans, and at two seventy nine, he's more like. Uh, a 4-3 tackle who would be a guy to come in in passing situations. And that way you could have Jerry Hughes, Jonathan Grenard. You could have Mario Addison. There's a lot of possibilities that uh, Nick Casario has given them. And that's and, and one of the things Casario's done so well is manage the cap. And next year it's going to pay off. And I can't wait to see next year when he has some money. I don't think he's going to try to win. February and March, like Jacksonville does, but I, you know, with that kind of money, knowing where the, we think they could be this time next year, he may go spend a lot of money on say two players that he thinks going to come in here and help them realize their goal. And uh, and as the turnover continues under Casario and uh, Lovey Smith, there's guys they better step up or they'll be gone. Well, my player from the last couple of years, acquired in the last couple of years, that needs to step up is everybody. Because guess what? With the gazillion draft choices you have in the next couple of years, you're not going to be here if you don't step up. That's everybody. Okay, that's my answer. General, I talked Malik to a couple Willis of players, and, and I said, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. I talked to a couple of players. I said, I said, who in the organization do y'all think needs to step up? next season and uh i think they said uh, the play-by-play guy yeah well i do too look i you know what this league stands for not for long <laughs> nfl baby i'm always been working forever. on the game like you're not going uh, anywhere yeah, but that doesn't matter look like pavarotti said eternal student that's what I am. Okay, always try to improve. General, uh, yes, I did not really compare myself to Pavarotti, but I'm just borrowing some of his uh, motivational techniques. So, General, Malik Willis in Nashville, tell me how it's going. I know there's a lot of talk about him in OTAs, and every time he throws a deep ball and they put out a highlight, it's ooh. So what's happening there in Nashville? That's a natural when you draft a quarterback, especially one that so many people had going in the first round. They got him in the third round. And when you're down on your starting quarterback, as the fans and the media are, with Ryan Tannehill. And there's no way Malik Willis is going to beat out Ryan Tannehill. Now, Tannehill, I believe, has the highest cap figure in the NFL. And he knows, everybody knows, if he doesn't return and play the way he did, say, two years ago, and uh, then he could be gone. And Willis, if he has earned the right to step up in his second season of 2023, 
then Tannehill be playing somewhere else. Now that's going to be hard when his top receiver, AJ Brown, was traded. Now they got to hope Derrick Henry comes back and stays healthy, unlike last season. And then you wonder, okay, if Henry had been healthy all season like he was the year before, well, Titans already had the best record. What would they have been able to do? They'd have been a different team because they rely so heavily on Henry. I would say there's no quarterback out there who needs one player on his offense to step up to help make him look good. And that recruits, includes receivers like Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. They're not as dependent on their top receiver as Derrick Henry is and as Ryan Tannehill is on Derrick Henry because they run so much play action. But you know those DBs when they play the Titans, they'll never say this, but not having to line up across from Henry who just torched the Texans is going to be a huge relief. General, let's stay with quarterbacks because there was some news. I don't even know if I saw it come from him. It seemed like it came from a lot of other people. Ryan Fitzpatrick is finally, I mean, not dead. Uh, He finally retired after, what, 17 years, I think it was. What are your thoughts about good old Fitz? He played for nine different teams, but, man, wherever he went, he left an indelible imprint. What are your thoughts about Fitz? He retired finally. Yeah, I'll tell you what's funny. You said a quarterback who's in the news. I did not think it was going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. Good for him. (laughs) I remember his rookie year. He was playing for the Cardinals, I mean the Rams. Other quarterbacks were hurt. He had to come off the bench. Nobody knew who he was. And he engineered a comeback victory over the Texans at NRG Stadium. And I looked it up. Hmm, that guy played at Harvard. Well, he'll get cut. He won't be around for long. And uh, he's had a terrific career. Now he's supposed to be going into TV. I think he'll be tremendous. You guys know in his one season here, he had a great sense of humor. He's a great quote. I'll never forget this. Um, it might have been his what was the end of the season news conference, and there was a good chance it was going to be his last one and only season here. He wouldn't start it till Dale Robertson was ready. Dale had done a couple of stories on him for the Chronicle that season. And he said, wait a minute, Dale's not ready. I've never heard a player say, wait a minute, McLean's not ready. Or I've heard, let's hurry up before McLean gets here. But I thought that was a classy thing. I think he will have a long and prosperous career in TV if he wants it. A guy as smart as him needs a, needs a challenge almost every year. And this will be a different one. And I think he will excel. And I'm guessing you guys agree with me. Amen. I do too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any he, other uh, quarterbacks in the news? Any other uh, quarterbacks yeah, there's one. The in general, it does it does apply because we want to know if, you know who's the quarter, who the quarterback is going to be for the Cleveland Browns when they visit NRG Stadium. What's your latest prediction on this based on recent information that has come out this week as far as when and how long a suspension will be? I don't think anything recently that happens, and if they file a 24th suit, as Tony Busby said, that's not going to affect the investigation. They've been investigating for, what, uh, like 16 months, and they put one of their top people, they've used resources. I think a lot of things go into it. Number one, they need to, to get the ball rolling before training camp. The Browns need to know. They need to know how many games Jacoby Brissett is going to be playing. The teammates need to know. The wide receivers need to know. And I think it was Albert Breer that 
that didn't make a big deal out of it, but said last week he was hearing that the suspension could be more severe than people are predicting. A lot have said six games. few have said eight. I've never seen anybody say more. What if it was a season? Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's going to be two seasons like Trevor Bauer. And I know Rusty Harden said Trevor Bowers has nothing to do with uh, what will happen to Sean Watson. But when they make decisions in New York, the the public sentiment figures into it. What's going to be the backlash? What should we do? And they've had some controversial suspensions through the season. They want to get this one right. And, uh, and everybody knows it's coming. And so I would think it would be somewhere before the start of training camp and we'll know he can be there. He can practice, he can work and he's got to go when they get ready for the season. So do you have Jacoby Brissett as the number one quarterback in camp? And, and so that's, that, uh, you know, there's Mayfield's there. I, some people are wondering, would Baker Mayfield be the starter? And I'm thinking, no, there's too much bad blood there. I could see Mayfield being treated like Watson was last year, where you show up, you do what Watson did, and you're nowhere around on game day, but you're there to make sure you get paid till the team is willing to make a trade and absorb a lot of that $18 million contract this season. So uh, everybody wants the league to do it. I think they, if, if the person that investigating turns it over to a guy who makes a decision. Now, if they say no suspension, there's no suspension. Cadell can't do anything about it. But if they say 10, he can reduce it on appeal. Uh, but I think it's coming soon. And, man, oh, man, I think how much attention that will get. It'll be interesting. General, thanks so much. Are you going to be up in Conroe with the guys in the afternoon tomorrow? I sure will be there. I can't wait. I always love going on our remotes and hanging out with the listeners. I get there early, and I'll be there uh, tomorrow as well. I'll be there early, and I can't wait. Thank you guys very much, as always. Thank you, General John McClain, joining us as he does every Thursday. It is a regular thing, in case you haven't noticed. Coming up. Well, we mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick retired. Where does he fit in among Texans quarterbacks all time? We will do that. That's what we do here. Also, OTA questions for John Harris. Johnny watches practice the way Zach Galifianakis counts cards, okay? I mean, he's he's all over it. He's got everything you need to know, so I'm going to throw him some questions about OTA, see what he thinks about what he's seeing out there at the Houston Methodist Trading Center. It is Texans Radio. More Texans Radio is on the way. The Houston Texans and Chevron have teamed up with the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston and the Houston Food Bank to create the Chevron Market Pantry at the Houston Texans Team Club. The partnership provides food to the local community and is run by Team Club members and Chevron volunteers. Together, we're helping make Houston a better place to call home. Texans Radio is back. All right, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Johnny, you ready to rank Ryan Fitzpatrick in Texans history? Come on, it's fun. It's summertime. I didn't have any problems since you brought it up. I was like, yes, I let's do it. I, I like, I've always liked right. Fitzy, man. I've always, I always have. Yes. All right, top Fitzy moment for you. Go. 
or do you want me to go first? Uh, it's got to be the it's got to be six touchdowns. It's got to be the six touchdowns against the Titans. Well, yeah, but okay. How about this one? The Buffalo pregame speech and then beating the Bills. Oh, yeah, right, that's pretty at good. home. Yeah, you beat the Bills. He went nuts in the breakdown right before the team goes back into the tunnel, and yeah, the Watt pick six, a Watt pick six in that game. Yeah. And by the way, how about JJ? The oh. family expecting. Yes. The congrats. Watts are expecting. I saw. Yes. I saw the post, and she seems pretty far along. Relatively. I know. I know. He must so have I'm been thinking, sitting on that for a while. Yeah. I guess oh. so. But oh, great I, for them, and yeah, uh, good luck to the Watts. Yes. Good luck to the Watts, and as uh, Sean anyway. Pendergast, as Sean Pendergast said, get that NIL money ready because whatever. Boy or oh. girl emerges from that womb is going to be as athletic as anything you've ever seen. So get that NIL money ready because that, that kid's going to be an athlete. In a related story, the University of Wisconsin just purchased a bunch of crypto. Uh, just kidding. So anyway, I think Buffalo. Now, as far as on-field stuff, ooh, it's interesting because – you know, the Oakland game, what was that, week two of the 2014 season? That's week where two, Watt yeah. threw his first touchdown pass. Uh, Fitzy kind of steered the ship. He played pretty well in the Dallas game. Not entirely perfect. He was never perfect. No. Uh, he but never he was did perfect. have his best season. To, he had his best season to date in 2014 working for Bill O'Brien. The following yep. year, he topped it with the Jets, yep. and they would have, could have, should have made the playoffs. But anyway. Uh, I'm not going to de- – this is not going to be a debate like who's number one, Schaub, Watson. It, look, we know the talent of Deshaun Watson, all right? I'm not going to get into that whole thing. But those two guys are the top two quarterbacks in franchise history. We can just yes. put them in that class. The, the, the next thing is who's third and fourth and fifth. Yeah. And it gets interesting uh, here. Hmm. Yeah. It gets interesting here because I'm going to say T.J. Yates has to be third. And I know that the numbers and whatever else, but the guy won a playoff game here. He saved your season in 2011 as a fifth-round draft choice rookie. He basically saved your season from the quarterback position. It was a team effort in 2015 when it was sliding out of control and didn't win the division for you, but he got you going. He got you going when you needed a spark, and he gave it to you coming off the bench at Cincinnati, then beating the Jets, and then was Hoyer back for the Saints? I don't think he was back yet. That was still Yates. I think it was still I'll check it out. But anyway, whether he was or wasn't, he's my number three guy in the history of the franchise. What about you? I I would have to agree with you. I think you hit on all of them. It's never – with TJ, it's never been about, oh, he's going to put up massive numbers. I think the the game that always gets forgotten – for some for some reason, and maybe it's because of the way the season ended, how badly, but that 2015 win over the Jets, he played very well in that game, and he hit that deep ball to DeAndre against Revis. And it made me think about it today because the, the Jets announced, I think, three dates this year in which they're inducting players into their ring of honor or hall of honor, whatever they call it, and Revis is one of them. And, and, and look, Revis should be a first ballot hall of famer. I mean, he was, he's arguably the, the best or – in the team picture, the top three cover guys to ever play the game, and DeAndre torched him that day. But TJ laid in that deep post to him, like 61 yards, and was like, yo. I mean, this guy just beat the Bengals 
on on Monday night, and now he's doing it on Sunday afternoon back home. I think that game's that game gets forgotten, but it's a tre- it's a tremendous uh, TJ game. But you're right, he sa- he saved eleven. Uh, 15 he saved, and then he came back in 17. Obviously, you know the magic was out of the was out of the hat at that point. But he had done so much, and for a guy that was a fifth round quarterback drafted, he went to the combine as a camp arm apparently, and he just he made the most of his opportunity. I, I think you got to put him three, and I, I always feel like TJ and, and Sage are kind of on the same from a production standpoint. There was never ever. Like production, one or the other, one way or the other, but it's just that TJ I think had a couple of the bigger moments and and big oh, yeah. big moments that you'll never forget. Right. Sage I think you'll remember as being a guy that when he got the opportunity played very very well. With Sage I remember that Thursday night game against the Broncos in '07. Was that the catch a bottle yep. game? I think it was, and. He, um, he he was great in that game against the Broncos. I mean, it was the I was like, wow, Sage looks great tonight. And there were moments like that for Sage. TJ just won the bigger games. Yeah, he looked good. Sage looked good against the Buccaneers a few days earlier in a Sunday game. Yes. So they beat the Bucks and they beat the Broncos to go to seven and seven. And at the time, that was woo. That was unbelievable to be five hundred that late in the season, especially after the start they had that year. And that was the first year they finished five hundred. We talked about that season recently. But here's the issue: What do you do with David Carr here? Because there's a lot of sentiment for. Case Keenum somewhere, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, that's what brought this whole thing up in the first place. What do you do about David Carr, who you got as a rookie, you were an expansion team, we all know the problems with the line and the injuries early on and having to play rookies, so many rookies on offense, and had he played better, maybe things would have been different, especially in 2004 when they were, what, 4-3 and at one point that year, but could not get the offense revved up anymore after that. I don't know what to do about him, but I think i got to put him right here because of the longevity, four years. But maybe I'm wrong. What are your thoughts? Boy, it's a tricky one because there were there were some moments early, obviously, but then at the end you could kind of see the confidence waning and not just him, but also you know when Gary takes over in 2006, by the end of that season you could tell the confidence was just gone, uh, I think, in both quarterback and head coach in his quarterback and it's it, but it, and it's so tough because there is a long longevity thing. You just wonder, what if David Carr were a veteran and came on in two thousand two? Would he have had four years as a starter, or did he get four years yeah. because he was number one overall? And, I, and so that's that's always kind of a a, a tricky a tricky oh, thing. I got a good. The other flip the flip side of it, Mark, is if you don't put him there, who do you put in his stead? Who do you who do you put in place of him? That's. That's the that's the one right. I have a heart. I know Case will Case. I just don't think it was long enough for Case. But those two wins right. in fourteen right. will always it was, they'll always stick with me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a fan favorite thing with Keenum, right? Yes. I think he is. It's not exactly like he's adored in the city of Houston, but he's certainly well liked and he's adored by many. Let's just put it that way. Uh, and a lot of people have followed his career with great interest. I've got a good way to do this car thing and to eliminate him from finishing third or fourth or fifth in that after he leaves, he doesn't get another shot. 
they're not right. going to play him again, right? right? So he didn't do enough here necessarily. And I'm, I hate to, I'm not bashing the guy. I'm just saying right. for the sake of this list. Yes. But after he left, he didn't get another opportunity. And there's a reason for that. So Case Keenum did. Case Keenum did some things. He started yeah. many games after he left here. Ryan Fitzpatrick started many games after he left here. Brian Hoyer started games after he left here, right? Still got an opportunity. So what do we do with Carr? We slide him down a little bit here. I think fourth, this is where Fitzy sits unless you want to put – and I'm going to keep Mills out of it. It's incomplete. I'm not yeah, I'm yeah, not going to yeah. give him a grade with 11 starts and no, rookie year and all that. You're good. But I, I think – yeah, I think right here it's, it's Fitzy unless you want to slide Hoyer in there. But I don't know. I don't know if no. I'm ready to do that. I, I don't know I don't know that I could do that with Brian. I, I thought Brian when you when you think about the twenty fifteen season, how often do you come back to oh, Hoyer made plays in that game that got us the win. I can think of the Tennessee game at home, but the Tennessee game at home, I think about Whitney. Whitney Merciless was just tremendous and, and obviously Watt was on a player of the year trajectory, so he had a great game. I remember Hoyer throwing a deep pass to Nate Washington, but I don't remember Hoyer doing things that made me think they're winning because of Brian Hoyer. Or he's making contributed plays. I th- I thought about that with TJ when TJ was in. I thought about him making winning plays. Obviously, like I mentioned, the the throw to Darrell Revis, uh, the throws he made in that in that Cincinnati Bengals game. Not not just the one to hop, but the one to Ryan Griffin early. So it, it's hard for me to think about putting Hoyer in that mix. You can't put Mallet in that mix. Um, I'm trying to think uh, who, who, who you're definitely not putting the Brockster in there. That's not happening. Right. Um, man, I mean, I, I think you would almost have to put Tom Savage in front of Brian Hoyer. No. Oh my gosh. No, you can't do that. I don't think you can. There's no way. I'm not. But let me ask you this: You got? I'm going to roll a ball out there, Johnny, and you get to have in there whatever version of prime you want to cook up here with the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. You get to have Savage or Hoyer. You got to win. I'll take non-concussed Hoyer every day of the week over mm-hmm. Savage. And you know, I had high hopes for Tom, like a lot of people did. It just didn't work out. You mentioned Rosenfels earlier, and look, his starting record as a Houston Texans signal caller is six and four. That's not mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. We probably should stick him behind Yates yes. and then go with Fitzy or yeah. somebody. I think that's uh, the five. And then yeah. that's the five. And I think that's the what? five right there. Yates, We're... Sager, Fitzy, three, four, five. Yeah. Are we not giving enough press, enough praise, enough pub to Brock? Just kidding. Uh, all Brock he... does is win, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> stop stop i know and look i mean if we talk about you talk about memorable performances from the quarterback position that this, see this needs to be a show we need to do this show you talk about memorable performances <laughs> for a texans quarterback how far down the yeah. list do you go take watson out of it and his performances because obviously he had many of them but how far down the list do you go before you say Brock Osweiler, fourth quarter in overtime, 2016 on Sunday night football against the Indianapolis yeah, Colts. And that's it. That's all I got from him. I mean, that's all we got, but it's pretty darn he, good. <laughs> he was at the helm. 
for a season that turned out to be a division championship, but he was benched. Savage came in. We all know the rest of the story, all right? And he was quarterback for a playoff win, for for one of your four playoff wins. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was. They beat yeah. Connor Cook and the Oakland Raiders, but still, it counts, and I'll take that W every time. Thank you. All right, that's our list, and it's incomplete, and give us an I, and we'll try to finish this up maybe <laughs> next week or something. Johnny, I've got OTA questions for you. Rapid fire coming up next here on Texans Radio. Stay tuned for more on the Houston Texans and the NFL on Texans All Access. Two is better than one. How many times have you heard that one? More than once, I bet, because it just adds up. For example, there are two, not one, great reasons to fill up with Chevron with Tecron. Number one, unbeatable cleaning power. And number two, or maybe this should be number one, unbeatable mileage. Plus, Chevron puts Tecron in every grade, every gallon of their gasoline. So that's two, no wait, three unbeatable reasons to go with the one and only Chevron with Tecron. Care for your car. Care for your car. Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. All right, here we go, Johnny. OTA questions. Look, I've been out and about a lot. I know you have too, and I get thrown these questions. I'm going to throw them to you. Now, we don't have much time left, so I need you to answer these in maybe 20 to 25 seconds or less. Are you ready? Of course. Let's go. All right, here we go. Rapid fire. Okay, first, all right, I'm going to pretend to be a fan, sort of like, hey, uh, how are they looking there at practice? How are they looking, Johnny? Fast. I think this is one of the faster groups that I've seen. It's The team speed is definitely more than it's been last year and the year before that. It's been fun to watch this team move and run. I think that's probably the biggest thing that stands out is is how fast guys look in comparison to what it's been the last few years. What are you seeing from Davis Mills at practice? I think you're seeing exactly what you want to see. You do want to see a little bit of struggle. You do want to see some adversity. You want to see him bouncing back and forth or bouncing back from uh, bad plays, bad series, a bad day, and see him come back the next day and, and look good and making his reads. I think Pep Hamilton is going to continue to be the right tonic for Davis Mills. I love to watch their interactions, how, how they communicate with one another. I just think there's so much more of that going on, which I absolutely love uh, to see. I think Davis is making the right strides. I think defense is ahead of the offense, but I think Davis is showing some progress, and he'll continue to get there. My next one was about Pep. What do you think the Pep offense is going to look like, and what are you seeing from him coaching out there? You gave us a little bit of that. Yeah, I I, I love why I was actually standing right right near him uh, of the OTA the other day, and I love the video boards because the video boards at practice are awesome because you watch a play and then you can turn around and you can then you can watch the replay of that play, and I forgotten the video board was over there, and I saw Pep looking at me, and I was like, why is he looking at me? Oh, the video board. I, he, he wasn't looking at me. He was looking at the video board. So Pep kind of got me looking over there. So I'm like, all right, watch a play. Okay, cool. Did he get his reads right? Is he doing that? So I, I just think Pep's demeanor with Davis is great. I think his communication level is great. And Pep is not scared to break out the whistle and stop a play if he doesn't see something, or if he sees something he doesn't like. Team, seven on seven, uh, whatever it is. He's not scared to stop playing and go, do this again. We're not right. But he does it in a way where he's not throwing his whistle at everybody. He's not throwing shoes. He's not throwing stuff. He's just, get back in the huddle, do it right, guys. Let's go. I mean, and, and I think that's going to be helpful for an offense that's still, you know, looking to take it to another level. Give me a rookie or two that looks good. 
I thought Damian Pierce, the general stole my thunder. I thought Damian Pierce ran it well. Look, there's no tackling. I get that. But just the cuts, the vision. Are they seeing the cut that is supposed to be there and then adjusting when there's a different cut and a better cut there? I think Damian Pierce uh, has been pretty impressive. I'm going to give you one way, way off the radar. Seth Green. Not the actor. Mm. Seth Green, the tight end, former quarterback at the University of Minnesota, transferred to Houston, was at tight end. I went to his pro day, and he crushed it, crushed his pro day. He's a heck of an athlete. He dropped one at the end of practice, uh, but that was it. Other passes he caught, uh, made some really nice plays, and he is athletic as it gets at the tight end position. He's a lot like Brevin. He's more athlete than he is blocker, uh, but he's got some sweet hands. I can't wait to see what he does when they put the pads on. Do you think of Dr. Evil when you think of Seth Green, the Austin Powers series, or any other film? I think of um, the one with uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and I can't remember the name of it. It drives me insane. But uh, can't like, Hardly Wait. Yes, Can't Hardly Wait. That's Isn't the that one it? I think of. But you're right. It probably should be Dr. Evil. One million dollars. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't like his own son, and he gets mini-me, and the rest is history. Johnny, thank you. Tomorrow, big show, 6 o'clock. We're looking forward to it. Thank you, Chris, for producing. Thank you for listening, everyone. Have a great night, and go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. Ashley is proud to call Houston home. We believe your personal style makes your house a home. Discover incredible styles, selection, and quality at a price to fit any budget. Ashley has just the looks and options you need. Explore totally different styles and trends all in one place. Finding the perfect furniture and home decor makes it easy for you to create a home you love to live in. We have 12 Houston area locations to serve you. Ashley, proud partner of the Houston Texans.